Hello and welcome to the AB Forums podcast for Monday the 25th of July. Joining me for this edition are news editor Mark Hodgkinson. Do you guys like Italian? And audio reviewer Ed Selly. No, I'm from Iowa. I only work in outer space. So the sharp eared amongst you will notice that I'm not Phil Hinton. I'm in fact Stephen Withers. And I'm standing in for Hill because he's not very well. Although don't panic because he's not a big enough celebrity to actually die in 2016. Uh, right, kicking off quickly, uh, James Martin. Possible favourite to replace Chris Evans. What are your thoughts, Ed? I know you don't like him. No, I can't stand him. If James Martin joins Top Gear, I'm not watching it ever again. Um, uh, uh, obviously, with the constraints of this being uh, a, a you know a public podcast, I can't explain why I hate James Martin as much as I do, but it's not simply down to his television persona. So it's as simple as that. If he's on Top Gear, that's the end of it. Goodbye, good night. They don't need another person to replace Chris Evans. They have a, a, a strong trio of people in... LeBlanc, Evans, and Reed. No, Evans. Um, the, yeah, you're not, you're essentially, um, Chris Harris and Roy Reed and Matt LeBlanc. That's the ones. Um, and and they, you know, just scooting around for another another, you know, irritable redhead. I don't see what the point is. It makes no it makes no difference to how the how the show should work. And I don't think he's a very good fit at all. He should stick to cooking inane, bland tat on Saturday morning television. Yeah, I, I assumed there was another James Martin who was some sort of uh, motor journalist. I didn't realise we, we were talking about the chef. Um, yeah, Saturday morning kitchen bloke. Yeah, I know who he is. Yeah, that's a very strange choice. Um, no, I, I know he likes his cars, but no, I don't mean I don't watch Top Gear. Stranger mate. than Chris Evans, and <laughs> yeah, yes, stranger than Chris. <laughs> yeah, Evans. I think stranger than Chris yeah. Evans because Chris Evans is at least a, a known TV presenter. Um, okay. And Matt LeBlanc. <laughs> Well, yeah. he's he's turned out to be yeah. uh, the, the surprise really package of the whole thing. So I don't think that's necessarily the issue. As I say, I have a particular aversion to James Martin, which makes me ill-placed to judge the soundness of this decision. But on a wider level, I don't think Top Gear needs anyone new. They have, they, they've got the bits there. They just need to have the faith in it. So generally, we're not that happy about the idea of James Martin being a new host of um, Top Gear. No, no. Not okay. in any way, shape, or form. Moving on, then quickly, Sam Allardyce. Is he a good choice as England England manager? Um, I, 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 considering who he was up against, um, which was not very many candidates coming forward, and considering he has a history of making very poor teams a little bit better, then maybe he is. Uh, yeah, maybe he is a decent choice. I, I, we're never going to win anything anyway, but at least we'll be organised in defence, and and the players will know what they're doing, which is patently not the case under the uh, last boss. So he's. I'm not a big fan of Sam Allardyce, but he's probably the best of a bad bunch. I disagree. I would have, I would have actually rather have taken a bit of a risk on Eddie Howe. Is my gut feeling? Yeah, but he that. didn't want it. He didn't want it. Oh, in that case, that's he should have. I, been I would have had Eddie Howe, but he's got he's got things to do. He's got things yeah. to achieve at club level. This and is true. Um, on the plus side, if we've got Allardyce, uh, we'll be able to cut the highlights reels down to about four or five minutes because <laughs> um, there won't be any. So, I mean, you know, in terms of television scheduling, I think it's a perfect choice. Um, but uh, in terms of uh, our football team being a continuous source of limitless disappointment, I think uh, he's a, he's a perfect candidate to uh, to keep flying that particular flag. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a fair comment. It just seems to me that it's turning into. Have you ever seen that film? Was it is it Mike Bassett, England manager? I mean, it's becoming yeah. that's turning into reality, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I can't remember it now. I think I've seen it. It was very art bad, imitates life. Ricky yes. Tomlinson. It was Ricky Tomlinson, of course. That's it was. The one. Yes, that's yeah. right. yes, that was bad film. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I think he's probably got a bit of an unfair rep for the long ball. Now, he hasn't really done that for a while, but um, yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see who he brings in as coach. And, and yeah, we'll qualify for the next tournament and go out early, regardless <laughs> it's, of, it's regardless the, of the play. <laughs> yeah. Okay, right, fine. Let's move on. Five star reviews. Um, first of all, we've got Adam Jack Drew who says, uh, the AV Forums podcast is my staple of podcasts, and I patiently wait for the next episode. Amusing and insightful, awesome work. Thank you very much, Adam. I, I love the way that you stepped straight in there, because the next one, uh, win you 555. Uh, interesting, informative, and entertaining news and chat about all things AV and some cat talk. Actually, I think we've been quite remiss on the levels of cat talk of late, so uh, we need to make sure that we continue to uh, just introduce that as a, as a sort of uh, fourth pillar of, uh, of, of our work. Well, the podcast is young and we've all got cats, so it could happen yet. Um, <laughs> next up is Useless. Um, it's my weekly AV fix with some witty banter thrown in for good measure. Sometimes has me crying with laughter. Yeah? Got, mm, fair enough. I mean, at least he's crying with laughter and not crying because it's just really, really bad. <laughs> um, we often end up crying at the end of it. 
Magpie 1000, mandatory for all AV enthusiasts, the best source of information on the AV scene, with the added element of humour and even the odd recipe in the past. Well, that'd be you, Mark, but no one really liked that, did they, apart from no, you? I, I didn't even like it. Thanks for Magpie 1000. <laughs> uh, Norlissimo says, knowledge, humour, pathos, intelligence, irreverence, and sometimes irrelevance. Uh, I, I'd say more than sometimes, but mm-hmm. you know, there you go. AV technology news delivered with a laugh and often a rant. Yes, that, actually, that, do you know what? That's, that's not bad, actually. That's probably the best comment. That's probably the most uh, incisive comment. I'll take that. Relevance and irreverence is a good tagline for the yeah. podcast. Thank you very much, Norlissimo. <laughs> and we've got uh, Matthew Letizia, presumably, St. Letiz. Yeah. Uh, this podcast has developed into a very enjoyable weekly ramble through AV news, reviews, and general pottering. It balances nerdy chat with a genuine love of AV. Also quite good. Good name for a band, that, general pottering. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, current competitions, Ed, what have we got? Uh, right, uh, you can win uh, Metallica through the Never Blu-ray. Uh, that's open to all members the 17th of August. Uh, Bridge on the River Kwai Blu-ray, uh, that's open to active members the 19th of August. And Terry Pratchett's The Colour of Magic Blu-ray, which is open to all members until the 24th of August. So a veritable smorgasbord of noise, Alec Guinness and magic there. So get stuck in and, uh, and, and, and I wish you the very best of luck. And were there any previous competition winners? There weren't. Okay, excellent. Right, well, let's move on to some hardware news. So is, is this the worst kept secret in AV this year, do you think, Stu? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, for those of you who haven't seen the front page or haven't been reading the forums since April, uh, Sony launched their ZD9, uh, new ZD9 TV, with Backlight Master Drive um, last Wednesday. And, yes, really badly kept secret because, basically, they had a press event in April where they didn't mention the ZD9, and the following day they had a, um, a dealer event where they told them all about it. And that was almost immediately on the forums. So in April, I knew the specs, I knew the screen sizes, I knew the prices, I knew it was coming, and I knew when it was coming. So the fact that we're sitting there in um, Sony Pictures' screening room on Wednesday night to be told all this officially was a bit of a letdown, really. Um, But yeah, they finally launched the ZD9, which is based on the, which uses the Backlight Master Drive, which Phil and I first saw as a prototype at CES back in January. Now, that prototype, and it did look very impressive, I have to say, uh, at the time, Sony was saying that it was a, um, a thousand LED zones and a peak brightness of 4,000 nits, which is very impressive. Now, at the launch of the ZD9, they would not confirm the number of zones or the peak brightness, which is a little bit suspicious. You'd think, well, why wouldn't you say that if that's the case? Um, obviously, when we actually review it, we'll find out exactly what the peak brightness is and how many zones there are. But um, but they wouldn't actually confirm the number of zones, the peak brightness. So basically what we do know is um, it comes in three screen sizes, 65, 75, and 100 inches. 65 inches priced at uh, 4,000 or 3,999, which I've got to think, I've got to say, I think it's quite an attractive price for, the, for what you're getting. Um, there's, uh, I think it's 7,000 for the 75 yeah, inch. And yeah, and a whopping 60,000 for the 100 inch. I don't think they'll be saying too many of those. Looks That's wise. a lot for 25 inches, isn't it? It's a big, it's a big <laughs> Um, Looks-wise, the 6575 basically follows the same kind of design style as the previous Sonys this year, the um, XT93 and 94. So you've got the sort of uh, champagne gold edge with a black trim, um, and it's a very attractive, minimalist, kind of monolith-looking design with the angled metal feet. Um, the 100-inch one has sort of big feet stands that we've seen on previous Sonys in the past, the big screen Sonys in the past. That looks quite familiar there. Uh, it also includes the, extre- uh, the X1 Extreme, 4K HDR processor. So basically they've got um, the backlight drive is the big selling point, plus also an updated processor. Uh, and there's a lot of new features in there, a lot of which are basically around kind of creating faux um, HDR. So similar to things like HDR Plus on the Samsung. Um, Sony say that their system works by actually analyzing the image and if it's wood, it knows it's wood. And uh, if it's cloth, I mean, God knows how it knows all this, but it's got a database basically of images it's uses to sample against. I mean, it's it's really clever yeah. <laughs> and it does work. I have to say, they were showing. I mean, obviously, these demos you have to be taken with a pinch of salt because they're set up by Sony to make their TV look the best. But they were showing um, SDR content on both the X93 and the uh, ZD9 and using um, their um, what they call HD, HDR remaster, basically. I've got to say, they were drawing every last tiny bit of detail out of the source signal. And it did look quite impressive, although I still thought it looked a little bit processed. Yeah, I, mean, I had the XT93 here for a few weeks, and 
that had a faux HDR mode as well. And it, it, at certain times, it could look incredibly impressive, but then it'll switch to another scene where it looks completely fake uh, and, and wrong. And well, I'm assuming that they've improved it for the XD94. It'd be fun to have a play with. Sorry, ZD90, ZD9 rather. Um, yeah, I, I found it, I found some of it, some of the processing really, really impressive. But then it was a letdown, you know, just around the corner, as it were. I mean, at the end of the day, you know. Uh, HDR content is mastered and graded, you know, um, at, well, a thousand or four thousand or ten thousand, depending on what it is. Uh, so there is that latitude within the image. Whereas, you know, if you're talking about SDR content that's you know, graded at 100 nits, 120 nits, you know, it just isn't there. So you can't add what isn't there. All you can do is just drag out as much as you can of what isn't there. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. But ultimately, I would rather look, I'd rather watch a properly set up and calibrated SDR image and then a properly set up and calibrated HDR image. And, and if the ZD9 can deliver um, 1,000 LED zones and um, 4,000 nits peak brightness, then that's, that's a real step up in terms of um, HDR performance. Um, but we'll have to it, wait. It's, to four ta- it's four times on paper, isn't it? That's yeah, well, theoretically, I mean, there is, most content is mastered at 1,000 nits, but there is some that's 4,000 nits. For example, quite a few of the Warner's titles on Ultra HD Blu-ray were mastered by D- Dolby for Dolby Vision, and they used a 4,000 nits master. So it could be some content out there that is. I, I think it's, it's certainly very interesting. It certainly shows where, where we're going, I think, over the next year or so. It'll be interesting to see what comes out at CES. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was – certainly in the demos that I saw, it did look really good. Um, blacks look really black. Um, obviously, the peak brightness was very bright. And um, the overall image quality – I mean, they actually had the ZD9 up against one of their 30,000-euro um, OLED professional monitors uh, and and it held up really well against that which is you know saying something considering that the difference in price and difference in screen size as well so uh, i think it's, it's gonna be impressive um and i'm really looking forward to you know getting it in for review because uh I, you know i mean if it does do what hopefully it does do then i think it'd be great but we'll, we'll have to wait and see um it should be hitting stores pretty soon um they said you know within 2016 so i'm guessing uh, within the next month or so um but uh yeah we'll find out but Sony's flagship TVs have got a good track record of being, you know, really, really good. So this, it should be been quite special, I think, this one. I mean, Steve, obviously looking at this from a, a more sort of lay, lay person's perspective, I mean, the, it does look like, um, you know, we have in the past in these podcasts accused Sony of being quite unadventurous with a number of their television ranges. I mean, this superficially, at least, it, whilst it doesn't necessarily look like there's... Um, a feature which isn't being seen anywhere else, so to speak. It does at least look like they are doing something other than, you know, a basic by-the-numbers effort. This does seem to be a bit more of a, a, a determined attempt to get, you know, get up in a market presence in, in the television sector. And, you know, is this sort of indicative that they are, you know, really starting to put some legwork in and take it seriously again? Yeah, it seems to be the case. I mean, my criticism of Sony isn't so much they don't innovate, but they just don't seem to release a lot of it. We see a lot of prototypes it shows. I'm thinking of things yeah. like Crystal LED here. Um, where you think, well, that looks amazing. Then it never makes it to market. I mean, this was shown in, in January. It's now hitting you know, hitting stores in, uh, I guess, Q3. So that's good. I mean, they've, they've shown something and they've brought it to market, which is, which is a nice change after recent uh, stuff that we've seen from Sony. And yeah, I think it, it, is, uh, it is exciting. And it is good to see Sony pushing things in a new direction. I mean, be interesting, like I say, it'll be interesting to see where things go from now because there's clearly a move towards wider color spaces and um, higher peak brightness. Because um, um, obviously, that's the way that um, TV standards are going in terms of um, Rec 2020 and HDR. So, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But uh, it's certainly laying the gauntlet down as far as the other manufacturers are concerned. It'll be really interesting to see uh, how you know, Samsung respond to that because obviously, they've also been really pushing LED LCD as still a competitive format um, as opposed to obviously um, LG's OLED technology. Um, and also, you know, it, it does rather, you know, say we were talking about it last week, has OLED got a future in, in an HDR world? Uh, if we're moving to these kind of brightness levels, we'll see. But um, yeah, it threw the gauntlet down. It's uh, an interesting looking TV. And uh, I think it, it's priced quite competitively. Personally, I think that's true. I mean, I've seen on the forums people saying, oh, it's really expensive. But I don't know. It just seems reasonable to me. Uh, but don't, yeah, I'm just got to be careful on that. Reviewer price blindness is, um, <laughs> there is, 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 is a significant issue. <laughs> um, for another publication, I've got a little pair of speakers in from Switzerland at the moment. They're about 60 centimetres tall, tiny little floor standards. And um, they're five and a half thousand pounds the pair. And I spent a bit of time going, yeah, do you know what? These, yeah, that's not bad at all. And then I sort of sat back and thought, 
hang on a second, five and a half grand. Um, yes, I, I periodically need to recalibrate how I sort of view these things. You do, it all goes a bit a bit wonky if you uh, if you don't pay attention to yourself. So you've got to be you've got to be careful here. You, yeah, you've got to think how how would you feel if you were sticking your hands in your own pocket to actually get that into your house? Well, just yeah. dust and cobwebs come out when that happens. Yeah, me. <laughs> so, <laughs> likewise. No, no odds. <laughs> All right, well, moving on, but sticking with Sony. Um, Mark, you've been looking at the Sony UHP H1 Blu-ray player. Yeah, this is the um, 4K Blu-ray player that isn't a 4K Blu-ray player that they announced <laughs> at CES um, with a great fanfare, and they seem to be very excited about it. Um, it it's 4K capable, so it, it can it can transmit 4K up to 60 frames per second through its HDMI 2.0 ports. Um, uh, I'm failing to get that excited about it, really. Um it's quite a niche product for me. Uh, if you're after a, a disc spinner that's also a, a good high-res audio player, and if you fall into that category and you want one box to, to solve it, then you know go ahead, fill your boots. But at 400 quid, you could go out and get yourself separates um, to, to do the job just as well for less. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, as such it's the build quality is great although it's all plastic it's an all plastic thing um although it feels really really heavy and really really well made it's it's well connected like i say it's it's got dual hdmi ports so if you um if your equipment doesn't support 4k or 3 and or 3d you, you've got an audio out for your hdmi it's got stereo outs um toslink digi digital audio and uh, coaxial digital audio um yeah, and other than that, it's it's you know it's like virtually every other Sony Blu-ray player. It, it, it's got good, great video processing. The scaling on it is really, really good. Um, even like a good DVD can 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 look pretty nice on a 4K panel. Um, it's got the usual apps, uh, Netflix, Amazon, but not 4K again. So there's there's no HEVC decoding, which is a you know. Uh, really, what yeah. is it? point of that i know i'm starting you know uh, like i say it's really really niche you'd, you'd have to be thinking i'm not i'm not bothered about 4k blu-ray and and i do want a high-res audio player in, in one package for it to, you know to, to be even relevant to you um I, I've, I've got the um samsung k8 5000 which is obviously an ultra hd blu-ray player right next to it and comparing comparing the capabilities audio aside there's You'd have to go for the Samsung every time. If you're a video guy, then you're just not going to spend four hundred pounds on this when you can you can go and future boost yourself, get almost as good video processing. It's just the scaling on the the Samsung slightly different. It's a little bit more processed looking, but it's still really really good. Um, yeah, I, I can't I can't knock it as such in its performance, just in its intent and 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 the market that that exists for it. I just I just think it's really really small. Uh, and I just I can't I'm, I wouldn't buy one anyway. Let's let's put it that way. It's it's going to get a recommended badge, but only to you know only for that very very niche need of of requiring a an all in one high res audio player along with um, a standard Blu ray disc okay. player. Ed presumably as our as our resident audio guru, uh, you could think of better ways of streaming high res audio than a Sony UHP H one Blu ray player. Um, well, obviously, it's always as, as Mark was saying. It's a useful value-added thing to have in one box. But yeah, there are uh, a number of uh, a number of sort of more dedicated options from a hundred pounds and up, which will which will you know get the job done if you do want to split it over. You could even buy a Raspberry Pi, couldn't you, and get it done for absolutely that. Yeah, sixty quid, and then a Blu-ray player for one hundred and twenty quid. You save yourself two hundred and twenty pounds, and you've got the same performance. I don't, I, I don't see the point of it unless you're really short of space. It's interesting, just so I don't feel left out from the Sony talk. I've got a Sony product in at the moment yeah. as well, uh, in the shape of the PSHX five hundred uh, turntable, uh, which Ooh. is uh, a bit of a peculiarity in as much as it uh, it looks perfectly ordinary. In fact, it looks incredibly dull. Um, it's it's a study in black. But um, it has a completely um, extraordinary party piece, which is unique um, in that uh, as well as being able to digitize vinyl, which is something that we've seen on, on a couple of products so far, um, it doesn't just plump for plain, boring old CD resolution. Um, it's capable of encoding to high-res audio and DSD. Uh, which is interesting in as much as it does at the moment represent the only 
consistent way I've got of creating a DSD file. So <laughs> I've, I've been, been making some effort in that regard. So, yeah, uh, it, it, this, going back to what we were saying about the ZD9, this is Sony sort of doing something completely off the wall, if you like. Um, I'm, I'm beavering away at the review as we speak. That will go up next month. And, uh, yeah, if you uh, wanted to know where the innovation's gone, uh, they're not doing it in Blu-ray players. They're doing it in, um, they're doing it in uh, turntables. Yes. Bizarre, isn't it? The, the company that created invented blue well you'd be able to play your dsd files on the uhp h1 anyway if you if you, if you had that combination <laughs> oh there you go then it does play <laughs> dsd yeah. all right sticking with audio though ed um audio quest they've got their dragonfly black dragonfly red and jitterbug um dax and um was it a djitter device i suppose yes. now, um, can you talk a bit about that yes um AudioQuest is best known as a manufacturer of cables. Think of a cable, think of a length, think of a price, and they uh, they, they make a cable. Um, but they moved into digital um, oh, a few years ago now. They launched the original original uh, Dragonfly, and um, uh, that was then uh, replaced by uh, an updated model. And now there are two new ones, uh, which have appeared. Dragonfly Black... Uh, for £90 and uh, Dragonfly Red for £180. And the big difference for this generation is that uh, the older Dragonflies only worked when connected to uh, something like a laptop or something with a USB power, powered USB bus, basically. Um, thanks to what actually has been a considerable amount of effort on their part, um, AudioQuest has got these present generation of Dragonflies to work on the end of either the Apple camera kit device or an Android on-the-go cable, uh, which turns them into uh, mobile DACs. And, um, I mean, it's one of those things where it sort of looks superficially simple, but this is the first time I've ever tested a uh, a, a DAC to um, the... the can connect to a mobile phone that has no power or battery of its own uh, and that's actually quite a considerable achievement because the amount of power that these mobile devices make available over their usb connection is very limited um, and furthermore um, it doesn't seem to affect too chronically the actual battery life of the product once connected and uh, i have to say i was genuinely genuinely thrilled with how they sound uh, the dragonfly black at under 100 quid um, we're going to sort of discuss this as a sort of further, we're going to segue effortlessly into a sort of wider concept here. But if you have a relatively up-to-date Android or iOS phone and you attach a Dragonfly Black to it, broadly speaking, you get a performance which is pretty much indistinguishable from most of the dedicated audio players that we've had a look at over the last sort of two years or so and um for the all-up costs of that i mean if you think about what certain of these phones are being let loose on just inclusive in contract or if you absolutely have to buy one how much the uh, nexus uh, the nexus phones and the like cost it's extraordinarily cost effective um and it really is a sort of demonstration of how flexible and how clever uh, digital products are sort of becoming in this regard. I mean, don't get me wrong, in order to make them function in the way that they have, AudioQuest has had to make some design compromises. Um, they are uh, unable, for example, just to, having discussed that Sony ripping to DSD, it, these can't handle DSD. They don't have any means of switching to a higher function of USB operation. They, they function driverless. But they can still handle high-res formats up to 96 kilohertz and that let's face it is going to be enough for most human beings it and i have to say i've been been absolutely delighted with the performance of both of them the black i would say is more than up to the job of working with pretty much any earphone that you'd care to think of if you want to do something crazy and run full-size headphones off a mobile phone the red is absolutely extraordinary for that i mean i was using the pretty big uh, Audio Technica 2000Zs on the end of my old Nexus 5 with the red attached to it, and it sound it didn't just sound all right; it sounded genuinely good. Um, and this is, you know, this is seriously good value for money and, and a genuinely impressive thing from AudioQuest. And what's the jitterbug? The 
Jitterbug is a bit more of an oddity in so much as it is an entirely passive filter network which sits between the USB output of a device and the USB DAC and essentially reduces noise and extraneous interference from a USB device. Now, this all sounds a bit witchcrafty, doesn't it, really? Um, But if you open it up, it isn't just a little empty box with a little message going, ha-ha. It's got a tiny passive network of capacitors and, and, and the like, and... Uh, whilst I'm not going to for a second say that it's a night and day sort of difference, if you're using the Dragonflies with uh, a laptop in particular, um, it, I'd be surprised if you didn't sort of go, ooh, some of the noise has gone. Just if you have, a, um, for example, if before you actually start playing a piece of music on a streaming service, just have the volume up at the sort of level you'd normally be listening at, and there just isn't that very slight level of background noise that you'd sort of accept as being normal when you're using a laptop. And that's, you know, both PC and, 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 and MacBooks. It, it just, it manages to scrub away some of the sort of low level interference that you get. And given that it's 40 quid, um, it's not the most, you know, risk, risky purchase going, is it? Um, it? It's certainly worth a go. I would suggest if you're using... Um, a computer is your primary audio source. It's a bit of a sort of, you know, what have you got to lose style purchase. As far as I'm concerned, in terms of just getting slightly better performance out of this grisly old ThinkPad that I'm uh, using <laughs> at, at this moment, I, I think it is a, a, a genuinely useful little thing. And it's not desperately expensive. And yeah, it, it, it's not simply for use with the Dragonflies. Um, I was doing some work testing it with the Cord Mojo. Um, and a couple of other bits and bobs that are lying around here. And it did make, you know, a small but appreciable difference in most instances. Excellent. Can I assume there are some Best Buy badges on AudioQuest, Waylon? Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, I know I get criticism for, for badging lots of stuff, but one, I, I do get to choose. Uh, the, the good fellows at AV Forums are very, very kind, and I do get a fair amount of discretion in items. And I have to be honest, life is too short to seek out bad items to write at length to you about. I know some people find that it's quite, you know, cathartic to to destroy things, but <laughs> I, I'm not that person. Uh, you know, I've got to spend my, my, my time tinkering with these things. So I generally try and hunt out stuff that I think you'll be quite interested in. Okay. And yes, I would say um, for me, the black at 90 quid is an, a no-brainer, brilliant piece of kit. The red, a bit more discretionary. I don't think it makes enough of a difference to justify the price hike if you're just using earphones but if you are a headphone user yeah it's definitely worth seeking out okay brilliant and let's let's then seamlessly segue into the next question as you said earlier ed in your opinion what's the best way to listen to music on the move if we're just talking in performance terms uh we have reached the awkward situation where i don't think any dedicated audio player can make a justifiable performance argument for itself anymore uh, that's possibly might be slightly contentious for some people. Equally, I don't think it's going to be very contentious for a number of other people. Items like Chords Mojo, to say nothing of the Hugo and the like, uh, are able to take any ordinary mobile phone and get a level of performance out of it that is absolutely and totally on on equal terms with anything that the dedicated personal lord. Uh, portable audio player market is, is handling. And as I said earlier, even the AudioQuest Dragonfly Black on a mobile phone, it's capable of great performance, virtually unlimited headroom. I mean, if you get more than go past the 50% point on a Dragonfly Black um, using earphones, you'll be easy to spot because you'll be the one with blood coming out of, of most of your orifices on your head. It will go face-bendingly loud. So that's not an issue either. Um, and we also have to face the awkward point that um, m- you know an up-to-date mobile phone generally has a better and slicker interface than many of these dedicated audio players do. There is a but. There's always a but, isn't there? Um, all I would say is that 
the sole remaining argument for the dedicated portable audio player is that having one allows your phone to spend time being a phone. Um, when I went to Yamaha's Music Cast 2 launch last month, I left for Heathrow at unbelievable o'clock in the morning and I was spending some time in the departure lounge listening to music. I listened to music on the plane and so on and so forth. I took uh, the Pioneer XDP100, uh, which is which came back because it can now do MQA and it's still here at the moment. Because the Pioneer took the strain in terms of uh, me just listening to music and playing around with that, it meant that whereas on a normal sort of trip of that nature where I would have stopped charging my phone at four o'clock in the morning and it would be quite late in the day before it could get anywhere near a mains plug again and normally battery life would become quite critical, my phone was just doing phone style things and by the end of the evening I still had sort of 45% left um, and that is if you are spending your life on the move you are commuting you're doing things like that there is an argument that having a device taking up some of the strain that you're subjecting your phone to and you know constantly having to have charges at your desk portable batteries all the rest of it um, you know that there, there's an argument that that it, it has a worth at that point. But Would you that's... rather take? Sorry, Eddie, I'll just interject because it's relevant. A lot of these new phones are of USB Type C, and what, yes. and what, and what you see now is these uh, mobile power bank type things that are tiny, small things that'll give you an awful lot of charge very, very yes. quickly. So why not just take one of those if, you, if well, your phone's capable? <laughs> because I'm. Um... A uh, an obsessive compulsive. Uh, I actually have a mobile battery as well. Um, uh, yeah, that that's another completely logical option. All I would say is that if you're using your phone with an external DAC, you're going to have to disconnect the DAC to start charging the phone because you've uh, only yeah. generally got one. I, my my phone's um, an, an LG G5, which has a it's it's a modular thing, so it's got a you can plug in a B and O DAC that's specially made for it. Yeah, it does. It does twenty-four bit DSD. I mean, I haven't bought. I haven't laid out the hundred and fifty quid necessary. But to me, to me, if you were looking for an audio solution, then the phone manufacturers are going to have the solutions for you a little bit more conveniently within the next sort of two years. I would these, agree. Yes, these portable audio players are just going to be completely obsolete for me. I think that um, they are on. You know, they're on thin ice. Essentially, any of them which can't. Um, that aren't using an open operating system to allow for the installation of streaming services, they're extraordinarily limited. Um, I don't think I could justify spending out the money on a product which couldn't do that. Things like the Pioneer, I think, have, have bought themselves some space because they are able to run Tidal, Spotify, what have you. And um, they obviously have a maximum capacity, which is beyond most mobile phones, not all of them. Uh, so that gives them a bit of an advantage. But yes, I think you're absolutely right. I think mobile phones are closing the gap um, particularly quickly. And I, I think that they are going to be the logical answer. I mean, there is a, a, a spanner in the works, and this is unconfirmed. Uh, so we're in these sort of conjecture states here. But um, a number of people online have been mentioning that uh, Cord, the people that make the Mojo, have been experimenting with a way to turn that into a portable audio player, mm -hmm. a completely self-contained one. So that could be, you know, that, that could be another sort of curious alteration because the Mojo functions as being able to do all sorts of different things anyway. Um so that could could wind up being being relatively interesting, but no, I I would say that mobile phones have got most of the answers, and the way things are going, they'll probably end up with all of the answers. And also, um, you know, I keep talking about adding external external items to them. Some a, a small subset of mobile phones actually have very very good headphone outputs in their own right. Um, much as I'm not an enormous fan of the, the actual functionality of them, I would say having listened to the latest generation Samsung Galaxy, that's actually a pretty good sounding phone in its own right. And my old Motorola uh, Moto X actually sounds 
pretty good as well. Don't get me wrong, there's some horrors out there as well. I mean, my old Nexus 5 has got one of the worst headphone outputs I've ever heard. So it's not an, it's not a given. But yeah, they, they do seem to have a lot of the answers. I think the portable audio player market briefly sort of sparked into life. And I think it's now being hacked about with from lots of different angles. And it's going to go back down to being quite specialised again. Mm-hmm. I think from a personal perspective, I don't want to walk around with two things in my pocket. So if I can find a way of using the phone as a phone and as a music player, then that's the ideal solution. And things like the Dragonfly, because they're really small, um, seem like the ideal solution to that problem. Because much as I love the Oppo DAC and headphone amp, and it's beautifully designed, it effectively means you are carrying a second phone around with your Correct. phone-sized yes. device with you. There are other things. I know there's the... Um, um, RCAM one you slide the phone into which is slightly better because it kind of adds just as a little bit of extra size to the phone but um, um, generally yes. I, I don't want to walk around with two <laughs> two things in my pocket so I think and I think that's probably what most people think um, other than a small select group of them you know nutters audio you were, I, <laughs> I was going to say enthusiasts but yes nutters um, so yeah I, I guess it will ultimately you know if, as phones I mean I didn't it's incredible to think that how much a phone can do now. I mean, I mean, people probably don't use their phones that much for actually making phone calls anymore. They're just using it for Pokemon Go and listening to music and texting their mates. Yes. Um, I mean, obviously, it must be said, Pokemon Go is, 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 the, uh, is the major major killer of phone batteries at the moment, not listening to music. So uh, you It's know. the major killer of people as well. <laughs> well, there was a local news story, I don't know if you saw it, it was on BBC, uh, right underneath my house. I mean, there was a whole complex of uh, mines and tunnels um, in box um, that were originally for a quarry for you know for Bath Stone and, and latter day have been uh, well nuclear bunkers basically uh, and some kids were following Pokemon Go and they ended up down in the tunnels um, and or in the quarry rather which is actually quite dangerous and had to be rescued so uh, if you're listening to this and you're playing Pokemon Go play sensibly yeah there was grow a, up there was a small <laughs> <laughs> all grow up yeah <laughs> There was a Snorlax in the park near uh, the other day. That got lots of people very excited. I don't know what a Snorlax is, but but my wife was saying it was a big deal. So, right. moving yeah. on. <laughs> you've already mentioned that you've got the uh, Sony Turntable coming up. What else have you got coming up for review? Um, in terms of things that are in the bank and can be put up at any time, uh, we have got. Uh, there's another installment of sound advice. Uh, there is uh, a stand mount loudspeaker from Riga, because Riga is not just about turntables. They've been making speakers for almost as long as I've been alive. So this is the RX1, their latest stand mount, um, which makes an interesting comparison to some of the speakers at that price that we've already looked at. It has slightly different design priorities and slightly a slightly different outcome as a result of that. And then, because periodically it's time to do something a little bit different uh we have a headphone amplifier dac and preamp from a danish company called copeland although you'll look at it for the first time and it reads like that sylvester stallone film copland because it doesn't have an e at the end of the piece <laughs> that is exactly how i read it yeah <laughs> um and that is well i don't want to spoil the surprise really uh it looks like very little else we've ever covered it has functionality subtly different to anything else we've ever covered and ironically we've actually now covered quite a few of these products we've covered the hugo steve did the name dac v1 a couple of years ago i've recent more recently did a, a product by sim audio the, the the moon which is another dac preamp this is pitching into what is becoming a major market segment for two-channel audio and rather than just be a bit of a me too product they've gone and done something a little bit different it's well worth a read um i have a, a suspicion that a number of people are going to read the review and go well yeah that doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily blow my frock up over much i have a sneaking suspicion that one or two of you people are going to read it and go do you know what i kind of need that in my life right now so yeah it's a, it's a, a subtly different thing and then coming up we have got um say the sony dsd ripping turntable uh, we have got a product from bose no less we have got the latest iteration of the quiet comfort headphones the qc35 which uh is different to its predecessors in so much as it is now a fully wireless product if you wish it to be so and then we're rounding off uh, the july reviews with an all-in-one system f- again from moon the uh 
Sim Audio Moon Ace, which uh, appeared at a number of shows earlier in the year and picked up a number of sort of in-show awards for sort of most interesting product there. So basically, I uh, clubbed my way to the front of the review sample list. So you guys will get to read about whether it lives up to those uh, that early promise uh, earlier than most. So uh, there you go. Thank you, Ed. That was um, exhaustive. <laughs> Comprehensive. <laughs> Don't expect the same uh, from me. Yeah, Mark, <laughs> you'd be quick. <laughs> I've got, other than the UHP H1, which is due very soon, I've got uh, also coming soon will be the LG SH6, as LG call it, the complete soundbar, which is, means it doesn't come with a subwoofer <laughs> if the woofers are built in. So I'm not sure how complete that really makes it. Uh, I've got the Panasonic, uh, oh, it's the right box of tricks. It's. Um, 3D Blu-ray player, twin tuner, Freeview HD, um, PVR, HDD recorder, records to disc, does all sorts of stuff. Um, I've also got a little Windows 10 PC and a WeTech Hub, which is an Android media player, which looks very promising, winging its way to me now. Um, and a monitor that I've forgotten. It's BenQ. I can't remember the model number. Um, yeah, it's just a business, just a basic business, no frills monitor, which I'm using right now, and it's fine. All right. Well, not to, at risk of sounding like I'm playing a game of yeah, what have you got, top Steve? Trumps, I've, I've got the um, Samsung HWK950 Atmos soundbar, and uh, it's still early days, but I have to say, I think it's awesome. Really, really, really good. Uh, and the Atmos really works, and it's a lot cheaper and a lot smaller <laughs> than the YSP1500, uh, sorry, 5600. Um, uh, but yeah, that's great. I've also got. How's, how's that price, Steve? <clears throat> uh, think, I can't remember the top of my head. Six English. No, no, it's more than that. It is over a thousand pounds, but it's, right. it's still not as expensive. But you know, plus it comes with a with a subwoofer. But anyway, we'll, more on that later. But that's on its way, and it is impressive. Also, um, the LG G6 flagship OLED TV, and the um, Panasonic um, 50DX802B Ultra HD 4K TV. That's what's coming up for me. I do wonder if LG selected G6 as the code just because of the similarity to the Learjet. So all of those, you know, blingy rapper songs are talking about scooting around with their G6. The LG's just hoping to cash in and a number of thick people will assume they're talking about televisions. Since they won't be able to afford a Learjet, they're more likely to buy the LG option, aren't they, really? Oh, no. Um, <laughs> anyway... Okay, so lots of exciting stuff coming up for review soon. Um, watch out for that. Um, that's it for Hardware News. Um, we'll be back with movie news. And it is movie news this week. Uh, I was going to go and see Star Trek Beyond last night at midnight in order to review it. But um, while I was still working, and frankly, um, I just couldn't face being getting home at 3 a.m. and then getting up and doing this. And like you, so, so interestingly, <laughs> though, it's it's been getting some quite strong I reviews. Feeling I'm going to be eating my words from last week because it's it actually starts to, it's starting to look like I've seen some more clips. It's starting to look like it's really good fun, and it's had some really good reviews. And um, basically, people are saying it's basically like, the, you know, like a really good, big budget, fun episode of the original TV series. And if that's the case, actually, I think this might be quite good. And I am actually now looking forward to seeing it. I'll probably go tonight. And I am looking forward to seeing it. So, yes, I could be eating humble pie this time next week. Uh, in terms of films opening this week on Friday, we've got Finding Dory, which is the sequel, obviously, to Finding Nemo, um, which has done gangbusters business already in the States, uh, well over 400 million. Um, to middling reviews, I mean, it's good, but not not a great Pixar movie, but certainly better than some of the more recent Pixar movies like um, The Good Dinosaur. But... Um, you know, you can kind of guess where this one's going. <laughs> uh, and also opening on Friday, Jason Bourne, which I believe you're quite looking forward to, aren't you? Yes. Um, I've, well, I say I am really looking forward to it. I, I, I have enjoyed the previous Bourne films with the exception of the Jeremy Renner one. I have an irrational distaste for Jeremy Renner. I can't tell you why I just do. Um, I'm slightly concerned, having watched the trailers, that it misses some of the essence of what the what made the earlier Jason Bourne films great but I think in many ways he is one of Bourne is one of Matt Damon's sort of strongest pieces of sort of cinema performance and I've not been disappointed by any of the preceding three so based on that I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and 
yeah, stumble off. I've I've still got a voucher from having watched uh, Independence Day two in in Blurrow Vision. I've got a free trip to the cinema. So probably... I think you should have been given a free trip to cinema just for having to watch Independence Day Resurgence. Well, I uh, we had this discussion. As far as I was concerned, it was a good bad film. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I expected it to be drivel. I wasn't disappointed. But yes, I'll probably use my voucher to go and see, go and see Bourne. I mean, I was, you know, I have to say, I was sort of thinking about Star Trek. See what happens there. Mark, you looking forward to Bourne? No. Right. Although not I think I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a fan. I've seen all, all, I've seen all four of them actually. Um, I quite enjoyed them, but I'm not, I'm not going to rush to the cinema. I'll, I'll watch it on Blu-ray. Will um, you take your kids to see Finding Dory? If they want to go, one of them thinks he's too old, and the other one doesn't really doesn't really like the cinema. So I might be going on my own. <laughs> you haven't got an excuse, you mean? But on the other hand, the, the, the one of the Blu-ray releases this week, they um, they both enjoyed thoroughly. But we'll come to yeah. That well, also. I was going to move on to that. So you, thank you for that nice little segue. Blu-ray releases this week. There's two major releases. There's Zootropolis and Ten Cloverfield Lane. Now, Zootropolis, have you seen it? Oh, mega! I loved it. Out, yeah, absolutely outstanding. Superb. Yeah, brilliant. I've not um, enjoyed anything of that ilk so much since the uh, Lego movie, I don't think. It was brilliant. I think I enjoyed it more than the kids, to be honest. <laughs> well, it is full of plenty of, you know, there's enough jokes in there for kids and for adults. It works really well. It's, it's, I mean, I've got to say, in terms of Disney animation, I think they're on a better role right now than Pixar have been. Yeah. Some of the Disney, I mean, things like Wreck-It Ralph and this, um, really good um, animated movies that, that appeal to all ages. And, and this one is made over a billion dollars um, worldwide, so it's done extremely well, but it deserves to. It was a great film. And obviously, as a, as a Blu-ray, looks and sounds absolutely stunning. Um, 3D, if you've got the 3D Blu-ray and you're still into 3D, is really good as well. Um, it's a great Blu-ray, so I, I highly recommend that. And 10 Cloverfield Lane I watched last weekend, and I've got to say, really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great film. Uh, I really liked the concept. I really liked the, the denouement was quite clever. Um, the sort of tension of them being in the, in the bunker was really well done. Uh, the characters trying to work out each other's motivations was good. And it has a fantastic Dolby Atmos sound mix as well. So lots of good reasons to get that. But uh, it's so, not uh, a direct sequel to no, Cloverfield, it, is it? It's got nothing to do with Cloverfield, really, other than having Cloverfield in the title. There's nothing, nothing to do with it, as far as I could tell. Um, no, so you nothing. don't have to have seen Cloverfield to watch 10 Cloverfield Lane. You can still completely enjoy this. It's got nothing to do with it, really. Cloverfield but, was the first Blu-ray I ever bought. True fact. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Strange choice of Blu-ray, considering it's a found footage shot on video. Um, there was, well, do bear in mind, again, within the specific reference of me doing, uh, mainly relying on stuff for audio, that was that was the thinking behind it. And I also seem to remember it was on offer at the time. So, um, you know, that was that was the, the, the thinking there. But no, I mean, I was weighing, weighing up, um, I have to uh, periodically, you know, get some new films in for, for testing. Uh, I, I have to say, I've been intrigued by this Zootopia or Zootropolis thing. Um, so, yeah, see see where we go from there. Yeah, I, well, I mean, if you're still buying Blu-rays, and in the case of Zootropolis and Tentacle Lane, you have to because they're not available as Ultra HD Blu-rays, I strongly recommend you pick them up. They're I'm not regularly buying Blu-rays. I need to be very clear on this. I I'm am talking to you there, Ed. I'm talking no, to everybody else. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I buy them periodically so that when I review something multi-channel, it's not like when I watched film from 2009, because I already do that enough times with Unstoppable as my sort of <laughs> yeah. continuous one. So... Uh, yeah, so those are the Blu-rays that are released this week. If you're still in, if, if like me, you prefer Ultra HD Blu-ray, um, there's been a couple of announcements. Specifically, we've had a day and date release now for X-Men Apocalypse um, with a Dolby Atmos soundtrack. Um, unfortunately, not a great film, I have to say, but still should be a good-looking Ultra HD Blu-ray. Ed sent me this bit of news, but I had already read it, which is that um, last week, um, Allegiant, actually all three Divergent films came out on Ultra HD Blu-ray. But it looks as though since Allegiant didn't do very well at the box office, they're now going to be making uh, the, th- the fourth one was going to be a, a TV movie <laughs> leading into a TV series, which sounds utterly desperate from the producers. I don't know. It, it's, a, it's a warning to a lot of people out there that, you, you know, this, this teen fiction stuff, it's not an unlimited well of resources. And also... Um, I think that you're on thin ice. The moment that you start splitting books to make more films, you're on very thin ice. I mean, The Hunger Games just about got away with it. And that was, let's face it, a big franchise. Everyone else, it's like, do you know what? Harry Potter, yes. Hunger Games, Hmm. everyone else, don't. 
<laughs> you just don't you don't have the goodwill and you don't have the levels of interest to sustain that sort of silliness so generally try and keep it one film per book yeah i, th- I think they're reaping what they've sowed here really i mean did divergent really need its last book to be turned into two films absolutely not i think uh get to the point and get it over with but uh, so, anyway so that's so are you buying the uh, ultra hd blu ray oh obviously yeah i've got the ultra hd <laughs> <laughs> just, just check it i knew the answer oh god <laughs> We need to make sure that this is obviously when the next great format comes along, that this time capsule of awesomeness, and by which I mean drivel, is is in, is actually in, and preserved for the ages. You know, it needs to be stored in just a way as to keep optical discs alive for the longest possible point, as the length that one man went to to support a format. <laughs> and, you know, involved a complete bypass in terms of taste and, you know, quality. I am single-handedly keeping Ultra HD Blu-ray alive. <laughs> in terms of, sorry, obviously, as I mentioned, um, X-Men Apocalypse is coming out. That's actually on the 4th of October in the States. I don't know about the UK dates, but it should be similar, I think. And also, Now You See Me Too has been announced by Lionsgate for recent Ultra HD Blu-ray. That's on the 6th of September in the States. Again, I'm not sure about UK dates, but uh, I'm sure it will be around about the same time as well, or probably just soon after. Um, so those are two new new announcements. Um, both uh, both films I've seen, and actually, of the two, I quite enjoyed Now You See Me Too, so uh, I'll, I'll probably enjoy buying that one on Ultra HD Blu-ray. X-Men Apocalypse, not so much, but uh, I will get it, obviously, <laughs> for the reasons that Ed's just pointed out. Uh, right, let's move on to our semi-regular um, topic, Star Wars news. Um, did anybody, apart from me, obviously, uh, watch the live streaming of the celebration event last weekend? I think we know the answer to that. Uh, I've got lives. Lives, <laughs> uh, children. Children, everything. Yeah, I, you know. Can I make it clear? I didn't watch the whole thing. I only watched, I watched the Rogue One panel, um, during which they first um, premiered their sizzle reel, which is basically you know, a bunch of behind-the-scenes shots and interviews, um, short little featurette, basically, as promotion. They showed that twice, actually, during the panel. Then at the end, they showed it again to those of us watching um, streaming live, but the people actually in the auditorium at the convention, they got to see the new Rogue One trailer, which has still not actually been released, which is kind of annoying. But apparently you do get your first look at Darth Vader in that. So I'm looking forward to that one when it finally does hit the, hit, hit the net. Um, I've got to say, I look, I look, did you actually watch the uh, sizzle reel? No. No, no. It's just—it's. I've got to be honest. I don't oh, get. Nice. <laughs> I don't get that excited about trailers of any description. Not least because they tend to give away far too much anyway. Mm. So I don't make a huge a huge point of this. The chances are I'll see Rogue One very shortly after it comes out. They don't need to now tell me anything more about it. I will sigh, hand over some money make sure that I can handle the hordes of idiots around me and I'll go to the cinema. They've won. They don't need to throw anything more out there. I know that both you and, and, and very much so with Phil with the, the, um, with Star Wars things, you know, it's like looking for an extra 15 picoseconds of previously unseen stuff. I just, I've got to be honest, whilst I have many, many, many sad aspects to my life, so I'm not going to judge you. It's not something that blows my frock up. It just doesn't get to me. I'm afraid. Okay, uh, I'm excited for Rogue One, but I, I, I won't go out my way to to watch all the coverage. I don't want to get overhyped like I did with um, Force Awakens. What I, I liked, what I liked about the sizzle reel, to give it, you know, as I keep calling it, um, was that they were stressing again, as with the Force Awakens to a certain extent, they were stressing the fact that they were using real sets, they were using real locations, um, and and that looked quite cool. And they were talking about um, shooting in the Maldives, and they had you know members of the Maldive army done up as stormtroopers and, and obviously these guys had absolutely no idea what they were doing what star wars was why they were wearing these costumes or anything which i found quite amusing but what was really interesting was there was a brief interview with the director gareth edwards where he's talking about you know filming rogue one and being his absolute dream gig you know and star wars being his favorite film of all time he says but then he said um you know but even though star wars is my favorite film of all time unless you bring something new to the table unless you can add something new change something what's the point in doing it and that just felt like a real dig J.J. Abrams is The Force Awakens because that didn't bring anything new to the table at all. It was such a slavish follow um, copy of Star Wars, particularly. Um, so, you know, if, and then again, it might even be a dig at some of the rumors that have been flying around that executives at Disney weren't happy with his first cut because it was too different from Star Wars. But, you know, he was trying to make a war film more handheld, you know, a different style, 
uh, of shooting and a, a different look to the film, but while still retaining some of the you know, classic elements of the original Star Wars film. So I, for one, am actually looking forward to it just because hopefully it will be different. No, I'm looking forward to it. I'm just not watching all of the stuff. Just to be clear on this, I don't want to be judged. Okay, fine. Um, let's move on to our not-so-regular <laughs> feature, which is Star Trek news. <laughs> it's, uh, obviously, Star Trek Beyond just opened at the cinema, and there's been some big news, isn't there, Hodge, in terms of the TV series that's upcoming uh, in January, I believe. That, uh, this came from uh, left field, although it's probably not all that surprising when, when we think about it. But um, the new series of Star Wars, which is Star, Star Wars, sorry, sacrilege there for Trekkie fans, the new, the new series of Star Trek, um, which starts in January 2017, will air exclusively, not exclusively, well, premiere exclusively on Netflix outside of North American territories. So anywhere but uh, the US and Canada will be getting to see um, the episodes the day after they're aired in the US. Is it on CBS? Is that right? I can't remember now. Um, uh, yeah, on, 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 on Netflix streaming service. So um, that is sure to... Um, get a load of new subscribers on board, I would have thought. Just Trekkie yeah, fans who cool simply can't wait to see it um, will we'll, we'll be subscribing in their droves, I believe. Um, yeah, I think it's 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 big news. And, and you know, Amazon got Top Gear and um, I think... Uh, I think Netflix have got I the think Netflix <laughs> have aced them with, with the uh, Star Trek, getting Star Trek on board. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. big news. No news whether it's it's 4K, Ultra HD rather. Um I, I, I would doubt it, but you never know. It might Depends. be. It might isn't it, Netflix, well, isn't it being filmed as CBS, as the actual backing yeah. network? Yes, it's, it's definitely and CBS. Then, and then not, they haven't historically thus far been particularly big on 4K material, from what I understand. Is so, that right? I wouldn't I wouldn't actually know CBS's track record. Um, yeah, so yeah, big news either way. So um, for Trekkie fans who are existing Netflix subscribers, I would take it this is extremely good news. Personally, I couldn't give a monkey's. <laughs> well, that you know, that that's your prerogative. I say I've been loving loving trawling through some of the old episodes on Yeah, uh, added to that. Well they've got they've got the entire back catalogue yeah, of they the do. Star yeah. Trek. And fabulous it is too. I won't hear a word said against it. So uh, And the although the third film has, has literally just opened up at the cinema, um the day we we're recording this podcast, they're already talking about the fourth film and, and Ed, I believe you have some information regarding that. Well, yes. Um when this broke, we were all a bit puzzled because we were still sort of a bit concerned that this latest film was going to be a bit of a damp squib. But um, it would appear that a fourth film has been greenlit even before the, the third one has earned any money at all. Um, and um, it goes back to uh, a core co content item of uh, of most Star Trek episodes and films. We've got a spot of time travel. Um which gives the opportunity to uh, bring back Kirk's dad, which um, for, for, for sort of trivia fans uh, will, in the 2009 film was played by a sort of pre-terribly famous Chris Hemsworth. So, um, yeah, that could potentially be interesting. I'll be interested to see how they, 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 they crack on with that. But in many regards, I'm just in many ways just pleased that it the franchise does appear to be, you know, still getting some investment and still you know, still having some, some work done with it. I mean, I, I, I hesitate to describe myself as a true Trekkie, but I do generally enjoy the stuff. And I've thus far found it, you know, this rebooted stuff to be quite quite watchable. So I'm glad that it's sort of continuing from there, really. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to see where, I mean, as you say, time travel um, plots have been used quite a few times, both in Star Trek TV series and in various Star Trek movies, including the most recent, um, the, the recent uh, franchise was rebooted using time travel as a, a way of basically keeping the same character but changing the uh, progression of the stories, which actually I thought was quite clever. So, I, I mean, it'd be cool. And obviously Chris Hensworth, as you say, was not a big star when he played Kirk's dad. Um, so having him around okay. would be interesting as well. Although, um, to be fair, he um, I have to say, that opening sequence of the original 2009 really film... I, I cried. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's... I'm it's not a, kidding. I a, found it really emotional. A genuinely, a genuinely lovely piece of cinema. Yeah. So, yeah, really if they, if he's able to, to bring some of that, then I'm all for it. Why not? Bring it on. You're right, they got um, more emotion in that opening sequence than they managed to get in Star Trek Into Darkness, where they really wanted a big emotional ending and hadn't earned it. But for somehow, that opening 10 minutes, they, they played it perfectly. It was, it was actually I, it's a perfect combination of the right people, the right situation, a perfect score. Mm. I mean, yeah, the scores. The fantastic. score 
untouchable so yeah that's that's how you do it that's how you that's how you bring the tears um so we'll see uh, i mean obviously it gets all you know there are all sorts of fascinating possibilities about um continuity and the like from what happens if the two meet and all the rest of it so yeah i'm i'm as much as i ever get excited about things that require me to go to the cinema and interact with other people i'm, I'm guardedly excited and on that bombshell incredibly we've run out of time so it's the end of another podcast although if you want to time travel you can always go back to the beginning and listen to this podcast again can't you and that's it for this week so my thanks to mark hodginson this is an extremely primitive and paranoid culture and it's a Everyone remember where we parked. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmark avforums.com for the latest reviews, news, and videos. Plus, why not leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you've enjoyed the show. I'm Steve Withers. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.